Welcome to Vichar Azad Awaz's podcast series that aims at engaging with experts and professionals to further the conversation on the marginalization of communities. In this edition of Vichar, Team Azad Awaz was in conversation with Shraddha NV Sharma, who's a research consultant with Samvada's youth research cell Kanaja. Samvada is a youth-focused organization that equips young people with skills, knowledge and values to build their lives and create a socially just safe and sustainable world shraddha is currently pursuing her phd from tus mumbai when she is not stumbling through her early teaching career she enjoys doing feminist readings of films writing love poetry and watching theater hello shraddha welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us here so my first question to you is um can you shed some light on distress migration and its impact on youth's choice of work who come from marginalized communities yeah uh, first of all thank you for having me here neha and um, you know i'd like to answer this by first looking at the way a lot of organizations working with young people and youth groups also see it um is that we need to open up this word choice to begin with um that uh, distress migration itself is an undesired circumstance right so we really have to look at it as youth circumstance of work and that's what we try to do at samvada the youth work organization in karnataka that i am associated with so when it comes to migration um we know that you know we know the extent of the agrarian crisis all over the country and specifically in karnataka with loans and crop loss and all kinds of resource con- constraints and just all the way back to ownership of land itself and tenant farmers difficulties so why will young people choose agriculture right and we also know that people are coming away to cities to uh, fight caste that is more glaring in smaller towns or villages uh, and they come away to cities that are supposed to offer anonymity you know and and some sense of equality and we also know that development itself by design is meant to bring people to centers of commerce and industry and today these centers are digitized there's digital technology infused everywhere in all infrastructure services whatever it is and especially in bangalore uh, people say that the it boom has facilitated its uh, digitization i mean it's not very different from other 5g cities today but yeah it has it has brought many youngsters from all over the state and from uh, other states as well of course um but distress migration means that these are already not first choices that it's probably adjustment it's uh, jugaad what we love to glorify right and it already means that youth are looking for ways out of a crisis and they they would choose the first option to earn and probably they're not equipped with the soft skills soft skills that are required for employment you know they're coming without english language proficiency and without even higher education so what work would be available for such circumstances and um, what we found is that you know retail is something that they find um and of course gig work on platforms as well but all are low paid right and so not really bringing youth out of distress out of crisis 
perhaps they're able to repay some loans but these jobs don't allow for a career you know they allow for a job not for growth so that's what i think yeah um uh, and that's the point of a glorification of jogad and the entire idea of migrating for a better job for a better choice of work uh which brings me to an important question like uh in the report by samvad also on the impact of covid-19 on youth retail workers you've already pointed out that you know young people are shifting towards retail or gig economy so uh my question is that there's been uh an introduction of the idea of casualization within the report and is the can you please uh, like elucidate the meaning and essence of what this casualization of labor implies what is happening here sure so how we understand casualization in general is that it's increased short term contracts right not permanent jobs increased uh, pay by the hour situations and not regular salary and we know this has been happening for ages now in all fields even in academia right i i mean i know that as an early career teacher and specifically in retail um you know the study by benopol and shauni shabnam shows this in 2008 itself and in our study we looked especially at the time around the pandemic and the lockdowns uh, and we looked at retail workers in malls in bangalore so in this context uh, a lot of the workers were there to earn either after being pushed out of education uh, you know because of financial constraints or caste discrimination or uh, on account of their gender or they're here uh to earn enough to pursue higher education it because it even allows part time so many uh, so some of the time right so there are a lot of youth trying to keep studying or to get back to studies so when the lockdown happened uh besides job loss or decreased pay many of them didn't get any work experience in their fields even if they had degrees even masters degrees so they could not really get jobs later because they had no experience letters no experience to show right which is always a criteria in most jobs but not in retail so these small retail jobs with about 8000 rupees a month for 10 hours of work a day or however long customers keep coming this is the only way to keep earning so the extent of casualization i mean you know even this per hour or per task sort of payment is so much that workers spoke about getting about 5000 rupees a month for cleaning rice and dal during the lockdowns and this 5000 is an approximation right the employers expect a specific number of sacks to be completed and then the payment comes so in um, i mean even in other advocacy and consulting work that samvada does uh, there are conversations about platform gig work too and uh, informalization there uh, meaning that if i'm working as a gig worker i don't even know my colleagues right i i don't know uh, our employers uh, we're not organized and we're not even workers right we're called partners so yeah these are the things that we've 
so it's like casualization is also a way of alienating from a community support spaces and being able to reach out for mm-hmm. for that matter right yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, i mean it the part of the next question you've already answered that why these young people are choosing to be here even though it's so like unstable and the income is almost negligible given this economy but can we explore this more like what are the reasons they are drawn to casual work and especially as retail work or gig work because clearly there's a huge drawback here in terms of salary in terms of security right yeah yeah like i said no retail has no specific qualification required uh, or even work experience i mean work experience adds value but it's not necessary um and it keeps a steady income coming uh, most likely to pay off family debts or uh, to pursue higher education and this is what we found in our study and uh, some of these jobs do ensure things like pf and esi you know some of the youth have been able to buy vehicles through installments so there is this some sense of steady income right so it does provide a transition from education to paid work and besides this it's uh, um it's it's different from public manual labor and uh, kya bardalai has uh, written about this and it, you know the work gives a sense of identity that is different from a typical working class person you know uh, it gives the sense of working in a mall it speaks of social mobility and it also means interacting with a different or um, a higher social class so to speak you know there's a 2020 study on this also uh, about uh, coffee baristas and gym trainers in india so yeah i think there are multiple reasons why it would draw young people but again i continue to question the choice the idea of choice itself yeah the idea of choice the illusion of choice that you know you can come here and you can have mm. a dream life you have the freedom to choose your working hours you have freedom to choose how you want to spend your money so uh, this illusion that has been created for the young people thank you for like laying path for the next question this whole illusion of choice and freedom that we are giving the young people into the formal and informal sectors constantly so from your experience on field from the research work that has been done Uh, so what happens to the sense of self of, of such young people look who join these industries and like find out that actually there's not much choice of it it's a different world mm-hmm. game altogether what happens to their sense of self mm-hmm. right yeah um kea bardalai addresses this also you know that uh, there may be a new social identity forming uh, but social hierarchies are not going away you know uh, that employees do face humiliation and feel demeaned in their jobs uh, by customers and management also right and we know this and like i said earlier these are jobs not exactly encouraging aspirations uh, for a career no it has limited growth uh, and people cannot pivot fields or domains 
like we see in uh, higher education and uh, the workers also say uh, uh, they say things like there is so much competition in this field you know to mean that there are many waiting for this role uh, they could be replaced uh, the procedure involves about 15 days of training uh, that too with lower payment uh, so what we see is that it brings this sense of competition it brings with it a sense of merit that if i go on doing my best uh, behaving not questioning uh, they say this also that if i reach my targets uh, why will the manager shout at me it's only when it's not met that we risk getting shouted at and so this neoliberal idea of efficiency is very stark here um but this very little one can do you know distress migration means that you're very far from your support systems in the villages or small towns uh, and a lot of people from northeastern states work in bangalore and face extreme exploitative working hours and women cannot question sexual harassment uh, same because of fear of job loss and they are not sexualized just because of gender right these women are there's harassed also because they are racialized and i mean i could go on with these you know mu muslim women for instance are asked to remove their hijab but why like are hindu symbols seen as religious symbols not really right they pass off as uh, cultural symbols because it is the dominant religion so think yeah this is how the space of uh, so called flexibility and freedom really perpetuates caste or class gender all of these inequalities yeah the entire industry is basically drawing the young people in in only to push them more towards some or the mm -hmm. other form of exploitation it's a new way of putting them under pressure and so much more like pressure is a really undertone of what's going on within the industry mm -hmm. but yeah uh, okay so thank you for that i'll now quickly jump to the uh, idea of gap between the formal and informal work itself as you pointed out that you know these spaces young people are prone to so many issues so uh, this whole blue collar and white collar work difference like there's a widening gap between the formal and informal work right within the mm -hmm. indian economy uh, which affects the social mobility and prospects so uh, my question is that how does this widening gap between the formal and informal work affects the social mobility and prospects for socio economic equality among young blue collar workers how is that working mm -hmm. um so this um, discussion reminds me of uh, tanoj kumar meshram's work uh, he looks at education policy and uh, the role that caste has in everything in policy you know from agenda setting to formulation implementation to evaluation and uh, also I, i hope i'm able to do justice by explaining his work here um he says that micro factors you know of uh, falling quality uh, no proper teacher uh, student ratio etc in government schools are a result of meso factors 
that's incompatible institutional ecosystem itself, right? Of, uh, uh, say, policies with regards to transfers, uh, payment, teacher education itself, etc. And these MISO factors are because of macro factors of policy design itself, where we see education in public schools completely differently from education in private schools, where now elites study, right? And this design comes from a culture of education to certain castes, to certain genders, etc. And really, you can apply this anywhere. You know, constantly formal, informal sectors are given different priority. And informal work is given suboptimal solutions, right? So youth from marginalized backgrounds are given vocational training and others are given IITs. So how does it affect the prospects of these youth? Obviously, there's no talk of creativity, you know, learning, enterprise. I mean, sure, now youth policy talks about the, you know, the national youth policy draft talks about entrepreneurship, but where is the ecosystem to support it for marginalized communities? No, it will probably mean Jugad, and that's very dangerous, right? So for youth who are already steeped in familial responsibilities, you know, expectations of them for upward mobility, you know, they are first generation college goers. There is that pressure to transition from education to work. But what about their own needs, you know, their own dreams for themselves? These are, I think, some of the questions we have to foreground in our work. Right. Uh, this question has always uh, been, like, has been a in my mind all the time, the mm -hmm. whole idea of how policy is imagined for certain group of people, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm digressing a bit from here. Uh, I'll jump to the policy intervention part, but before uh, coming to the solution, can we also uh, talk about what happens within the policy uh, discussion that why is there so much gap when it comes to designing such interventions as you started your uh, you know point how uh, the education itself is so distant mm. right from what is out there in terms of work in terms of the industry that is offering us the job I think even the most privileged struggle with it so mm -hmm. Who are these policy makers and where are we lacking? I mean, I know there's no simple answer to it, but mm -hmm. can we, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to speak about this, but what I've understood, right, from uh, work that I've engaged with is like this idea of, uh, what, again, what Tanuj Kumar Meshram uh, calls expertocracy, right? Like, um, who are these people implementing, writing, you know, these are the elites, right, who, like I said, have moved from public education, who who have no idea about um, informal labor, what it means. I mean, even, for instance, let's look at sexual harassment laws, right, and um, like there is a posh uh, for formal sector, there is internal committees for 
spaces that have you know more than 10 employees uh, etc right like in an organized space but then for others for instance for domestic workers uh, for street vendors where are we supposed to go do we know where the local uh, committees are we're, we're not sure right so it's constantly like there are different laws uh, being uh, framed being implemented right and um, a lot of people have done this sort of critical uh, look at policy itself that suboptimal policies for people on the margins right of caste class gender sexuality everything so i think maybe a, a lot of studies um, even in uh, around me you know people who are uh, doing their phds people who finished their phds in a lot of higher educational institutions uh, studies on policies studies on anything to do even uh, tangentially with policy, they stop at the micro level issues, right? Uh, people have pointed this out. It's obviously not just me saying that. Um, if uh, we are to look at government schools, why they're failing, why the quality is falling, uh, we'll find out that the teacher ratio uh, is bad. And then we stop at that as if that is the reason. But it's not, right? And this is what uh, Tanoj Meshram also says, that we have to look at those ma ma macro reasons, right? The factors are that it is expertocracy. It is uh, policy being designed itself in that way. It's not the system is broken, et cetera, right? It's being designed like that. So I don't know, maybe studies have to push further and look at these macro factors um, that create this at the ground level. Right, right. So again, I think there's a huge gap between what is being drafted, and of course, there's an element of it being an intentional intervention, too, in the sense that it is designed in a way that the system continues, but at the same time, there's a huge gap between what's going on in the ground and what is being drafted within the closed room. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so last question uh, is, I mean, it's again, policy intervention and how we can design better support systems. The question is, what are some potential uh, policy interventions or support systems that could address the challenges faced by young workers, particularly those from marginalized backgrounds or belonging to multiple marginalized groups? Mm-hmm. Um... So, I mean, I've uh, personally, you know, started calling it uh, the women's studies bias because uh, my training tells me to engage with the state, um, to ask for our uh, rights. But the training also tells me that it means fighting and questioning the state, right? And looking beyond it. Um, so I've come to a point where I'm like, is the state listening? Like, who is listening? Right. And I don't know, that's my bias, but honestly, we can't afford to be cynical and it should be, um, you know, like a political uh, sort of uh, ask, right? And so we continue to recommend to the state and uh, even industries, corporations, right? And um, so in 2021, there was a youth work and uh, livelihoods national consultation uh, that Samvada organized. And there's tons of recommendations there, you know, especially in the area of gig work, because um, it's new 
and it's possible to effect regulations now you know to uh, try and make it more labor driven uh, not just capital driven because if national policies can imagine youth as uh, drivers of national development then there should be a will to see them as persons and communities whose well-being is their right so it means that we need real numbers of youth you know youth from what they are acknowledging in the policy as marginalized backgrounds you know women disabled uh, sc st lgbtqia plus and the ultra poor right so we need real numbers so that states can devise action plans for them and besides uh, this sort of disaggregated data we need to listen to young people right see what their aspirations are challenges are and respond in their very specific contexts not some universal national solution i think and um and of course like on the non state front keep uh, organizing keep collectivizing and that's what uh, keeps me going as a young person as well so yeah that's what i think yeah I mean, we we really cannot afford to waste. Not a possibility at this stage or ever. The world is really. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for your time, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can build it into something fruitful. And yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you for your time. <laughs>